0: This is a
1: special edition of the RTI Press Pass powered by Rocky Top Insider. Here are your hosts, Jack Foster and Ryan Jump.
0: All right, everybody. Hello and welcome in to the Rocky Top Insider special edition Press Pass podcast. We're back talking baseball with you today. I'm your host, Jack Foster, alongside Ryan. Ryan Shumpert to my right. Ryan, we're in studio today. It's been a minute since we've done a baseball pod in studio.
1: Yeah, it has. I honestly can't even remember it. Probably sometime before postseason basketball travel, and my, my brain is just mushed from that. So uh, <laughs> good, to, good to get back on here, and uh, plenty to talk about as Tennessee is kind of right in the middle of Two SEC series against you know perhaps two of the, the the two best, or at the very least two of the three or four best teams in the entire conference.
0: Absolutely, and we're halfway through the season. I know it's so hard to believe. I was thinking about that
1: today. It doesn't like I get that we're halfway through the season, but I said in my head, "Give me two more weeks and we'll actually be halfway. We'll be halfway through the SEC season, and then you'll also have like postseason baseball."
0: Yeah, because it's not taking in Hoover into account, yeah. regionals, supers, and with a team as you know to Tennessee's caliber. It's going well into yeah. you know it's at least early to re- at least to regionals yeah which exactly. is that first weekend in June so uh I need a few more weeks for it to f- truly
1: feel like that but now I saw that uh, I guess on Sunday maybe the announcers even said it uh on the SEC network plus stream and, and yeah it, it certainly didn't feel that way, but uh you know so much of that first month is kind of prep preposition exposition I guess is the correct word it's the season but it feels so much like preseason because the non-conference series, a lot of them are just, you know, a lot of nothing with the opponents you play, and you, you yeah. don't get to – when SEC is so good, you know, it's not like basketball where you have a bunch of
0: really intriguing uh, pre-conference play games. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, speaking of basketball, uh, basketball's done too. Last night, UConn and San Diego State for the national championship. Uh, easy Huskies win. Did you watch the game? I did watch the game, yeah. You know, uh, my favorite part – I mean, the game was okay. Like, San Diego State tried to, like, make a little run there. I think it was like a nine-zero run, but – Jim Nance saying, "What he said at the end, like you are my friend," that just got to me.
1: That did it. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, it was good. It was a good line. I I don't
1: think I've gotten like struck up in all the Jim Nance stuff just because it's like it's not like we're actually saying goodbye to Jim Nance. True, true. I but, mean, I'll hear him again this weekend in Augusta, and yeah. then again every
0: Sunday in the in the fall. It's just like if you put yourself in his shoes to know what he's yeah. feeling. It wasn't like it had a huge impact on me. I'm just like man, like I, yeah, I could feel it in his voice, yeah. you know, like certainly. But Ian Eagles next year, right, or moving forward, yeah, and he's great. I love him. Yeah, Ian he's Eagle, fantastic. So. It's in good hands. Well, Tennessee baseball coming off a of series loss at LSU don't think that's necessarily too surprising but Tennessee did a good job of salvaging the series to get the series finale win on Saturday an offensive explosion 10 runs in the first two innings when 14 to 7 that was coming off back-to-back losses on Thursday and Friday night losing 5 to 2 and 6 to 4 Ryan let's jump into talking about this series let's start with Thursday we had an elite pitching matchup the top two pitching prospects in the 2023 MLB draft and LSU's Paul Skeens and Tennessee's Chase Dolander, it lived up to the hype, in my opinion. Both pitchers, uh, Skeens certainly had better stuff and better command. He, he had the better night, but Chase Dolander did a good job of not letting this LSU lineup attack him or jump all over him. Just one two-run homer was the only runs he gave up. What do you think of this pitching matchup and just this game as a whole?
1: Yeah, I mean, I thought, as you kind of said, Skeens was definitely the more dominant guy. I mean, you watch... Watched those two guys, and I don't think it left any doubt that, at least on that day, you know, who was the better guy and who has schemes with the triple digit stuff. And I think That's more crazy. than just the triple digit stuff, just how long and how how little his velocity dropped off as the game went on. And he got into what was, a, I believe, a seven inning outing. But at the same time, while Dolander and Tony Vitella talked about it a lot on the broadcast and then, you know, with the media after the game, that Dolander wasn't at his best. Which has been a common theme this season, but he he still kept Tennessee in it, and I think you said it the best. He didn't let LSU's lineup ambush him, and <laughs> LSU's lineup was very capable of ambushing him. And, and he did it to the other two, yeah. Yeah, I mean they did it to both Drew Beam and Chase Burns, and uh, especially Beam. I didn't think that was you know necessarily. Neither of them I thought were necessarily terrible, but Beam especially it wasn't like what Beam's outing like. I didn't wasn't like oh Beam looked, Beam looked shots. bad. Yeah. yeah, it was just kind of. You can't make those mistakes behind him. He's a pitch-to-contact guy, and LSU's really good. So, Dolander kept his head in it, fought through it, kept Tennessee in the game. Uh, I feel like we talked about this last week. It was his a- A&M start a little bit where he was in trouble a lot, but worked his way out of trouble more times than not. And he exited the game, as Tony Vitel always says is the goal, giving Tennessee a chance to win. I think it, it was even bigger than that in the sense that he exits. Tennessee's just down 2-1, and... Obviously, that is a chance to win, but it's not a five-four, you know, chance to right. win. Right? Tennessee was struggling to get offense, as was expected against Skeens, or maybe not surprising against Skeens, and uh, they needed to keep LSU very low to be in low scoring to be in the game, and they were. And then obviously, Christian Scott had provided a big hit to to get Tennessee on the board and kind of, uh, I guess, they even gave them the lead at that point, but keep them in striking distance run. and when LSU added those runs in the bottom half of the fifth inning.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it was the two-run homer in the bottom of the fifth. Um, But yeah, Chase Dolan just did a good job. You know, the most encouraging thing was he didn't give up a run in the first inning. And yeah, he ran into a little trouble in the first inning, which has just been the common theme for Chase Dolan, but he didn't give up a run after allowing the first two base runners on. So I thought that was really encouraging to see from Chase Dolan. But of course, let's fast forward through this game. We can talk about how great these pitchers were. But the the story of this game happened in the bottom of the eighth inning. Tennessee takes or ties the game up in the top of the eighth, scoring a run there. But then in the bottom of the eighth, with two outs, uh, Blake Burke fields a ground ball, tosses it to Seth Alverson, who is just an easy catch away from getting out of the inning, but he drops it. The bases ultimately get loaded, and then Jordan Thompson sends all of them home with a two-run double. This was just a nightmare scenario for Tennessee after they had played such a good game, in my opinion, up to that point, to lose it like that. You're right, and
1: uh, I would say that was you know kind of one of my biggest takeaways of the whole weekend. LSU was more talented than Tennessee. I think we all thought that coming into the series, if not knew that. But Tennessee was plenty talented enough to win the series. They were Tennessee was plenty good enough to win two out of three games at LSU. to team has been number one all season. And it was the fundamentals. It was the mistake. I mean, it's the stuff that we talked at length about after the first weekend of, yeah. of, of the season down in Arizona. You have to be better base running. You have to be better with the defensive uh, miscues and largely those miscues this year have been outfielders, but it was all, it was all infield uh, infield mistakes really all weekend. Honestly, I thought Tennessee's outfield was good defensively. It was all amazing, weekend. yeah. Uh, but uh, and especially in the eighth inning, just two careless mistakes, and it was like both those guys got on. I think there was a walk before the big hit. That uh, it was a hit by pitch. Hit by pitch.
0: There you yeah, go. Which is even more. I mean, you could argue it's a little more egregious than walking a guy.
1: Yeah, and there were a lot of Tennessee hit a lot of guys yeah. this weekend too, and. I think even before that, you just made those two mistakes, and it's just like Tennessee's going to give up a big hit here. Like it obviously hadn't happened yet, but you—that's just baseball. Like you don't get away with making mistakes like that, especially against lineups as good as LSU's. Like you're—they're going to make you pay nine times out of ten, and that's exactly what happened. And because of that, you know Tennessee certainly didn't didn't deserve to win the first game of the series, and and that's will be something we continue to monitor all year uh, as Tennessee tries to. Get those fielding issues, those base running issues down, but to this point, as we just said, halfway through the regular season, it's kind of a continuous and worrisome theme for this team.
0: Yeah, and you know, Tony Vitello didn't choose to take Seth Halverson out of the game with the bases loaded there. Um, It was after the hit-by-pitch. I know we had talked about this previously, but there was only one mound visit, I believe, in the bottom of the eighth, and it was after the bases had gotten loaded after the hit-by-pitch. Because they didn't really have anybody in the bullpen throwing. I think they had just sent Camden Sewell, is what the broadcast showed, but they didn't have anybody ready to go, you know. So you just kind of had to ride with Halverson, and off the way he had pitched up to this point, there was no reason not to. But just what had happened, the confidence was probably shot at that point, and then, you know, LSU wins the game. Yeah, I think it's not necessarily
1: even crazy that they didn't pull Halverson before the big hit. It was just crazy they didn't have the option. I it mean no, they yeah. didn't have the option. Yeah. You okay. gotta have the you have to have the option. You have to have and obviously Kirby Cannell is usually the guy to get hot quickly, but I think you know, it Camden Sewell was the guy to go to. I mean, you you were in the game and once you get yourself Friday night in the eighth inning and it's anybody's game, you're going all out to try to win. And that would have been Camden Sewell coming in the game. And uh you're right. I don't know if Halverson's confidence was confidence was shot necessarily, but the whole feel, the whole the whole momentum, the whole vibe, had completely flipped, and I'm sure sure it was a different vibe for him on the mound than it was three batters before. And that's what made the innings. That's what made the innings so brutal for Tennessee is that you know you start at state fitting, It's and there's very little reprieve in this LSU lineup at all. But you're right. starting Dylan Cruz, Tommy White. It's like this is you got to find a way to get through this State fitting. and it kind of felt like this would be the last thing for Seth Halvers, last inning for Seth Halverson. and he'd already been in two point one innings uh, at that or two and a third innings at that point, and. and he gets those first two guys out. He gets Dylan Cruz, the best – or one of the two best batters. We'll talk about the other one yeah. later in the podcast in the SEC. You get Tommy White, the other guy in the middle of the order, and that I think that in particular is what made it so brutal. You got the guys that you were really worried about out, and then just simple mistakes cost you.
0: Yeah, I'm not going to say it felt like Tennessee got this game stolen from them or anything, but because they didn't have the lead when that happened, right? It was tied. But it does kind of feel like – I don't know the word, but you know, it just felt like Tennessee definitely could have won, and they were the underdogs, and to get to this point was impressive, and then to just have it fall apart like that was so, you know, just ugly.
1: Yeah, I know. I think that's right. Like, it, it almost felt like Tennessee was going to steal one because – I can see that, yeah. Not that but, Tennessee was outmatched, but Paul Skeens was so good, mm-hmm. and Chase Dolan didn't have his best, and LSU is the better, the better team, and I was like, well, Paul Skeens is out of the game. Chase there's out of the game, boom, eight inning, tie ball game. You got a chance to make a statement by winning this game and, you know, giving yourself really a great chance to win the series. I think we all knew after Tennessee lost on Thursday night they weren't gonna win the series. I mean, yeah. it it was gonna be a very tall task for them to win the next two games. And uh, I think you would have felt a lot better about it if you just Dylan Cruz hits a solo home run to start the eighth inning. You lose three two or four two, you know, whatever. You would have felt, well, okay, we played pretty well, LSU uh gave the better punch and Tennessee loses, but uh when you make those mistakes I think it it made it At least hurt such a, lot a more. worse taste in your mouth. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Yeah, well to me that was the best game of the series, um, just because it was so neck and neck all the way until the end there. But then moving on to Saturday. Also the uh Attendance record
1: at Alex Box Stadium. Yes. It just seemed like an it was a, electric. Almost 14,000? Yeah, it was just shy of 14,000. That's crazy.
0: Electric environment, it seemed like night Thursday night night game. Yeah. Like it. No, you're right.
1: It was, it was college baseball
0: at its best. It really was. Yeah, I'm sure that's probably the most raucous environment they played in all season, hands down. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. Well, moving on to the Saturday game. We'll keep this one quicker. Chase Burns. Gives up three runs in the bottom of the first. Um, the, it was three RBI doubles, four doubles total in the first inning from the LSU lineup. They just had their way early with Burns in the last RBI double. Coming off a defensive mistake, the worst. Well, you could argue Halverson's drop is the worst defensive mistake, but the ugliest to watch defensive mistake, definitely in the bottom of the first year on Saturday. A pop-up, routine pop-up. Should have ended the inning in, in the infield there, but then no one, it was just such a bad miscommunication, and it just falls on the pitcher's mound. I mean, this is Little League stuff.
1: Yeah, and it, Little League is the, the way to describe it. it. It was just a brutal mistake, and it felt like – really felt like the whole weekend, and this is just a sign of a good team, and it's an especially good lineup. Like Every time Tennessee would do something, LSU would answer. And even really in Sunday's game when Tennessee won, it felt like LSU yep. had a lot of answers for what Tennessee did. Tennessee was just more emphatic offensively and it was like all right great you start to start of the game Maliauna hits a solo home run it's like you're off to a good start and then boom immediately LSU puts the pressure on in the bottom half of the inning and you make a huge defensive mistake and it, you know LSU had already taken the lead at that point but it, it, again it's just you're digging yourself a hole against it's another run yeah a really good team and then it continues on the bottom half or I guess the top half of the second inning a half inning later where Hunter Ensley singles and gets picked off at first base, and literally the next pitch, uh, it was it was Dryling had gotten, dryling, on, and that's then Insley right, yeah. took a yard. Yes, And yeah. the very ne- yeah, the, Dylan Dryling gets on very next, gets picked off, and then the very next pitch, uh, or maybe two pitches later, Hunter Insley hits a home run. So it's like, boom, you're in, the top of the second inning in the game, and Tennessee's down three two, and it's like, two very basic mistakes and the stuff we've talked about all year with this team, you just flip them.
0: Interrupt 3-2. Exactly. Yeah, and and, I, and they couldn't really come back from that the rest of the game. It it felt like everything Tennessee did. As you said, LSU had an answer. Two runs in the top of the fourth. LSU scores two runs in the bottom of the fourth, and LSU adds another run there in the sixth, which was, I believe, a sack fly against uh, Andrew Lindsey. Speaking of Andrew Lindsey, man, has been so dominant lately in these relief outings. Seth Halverson and Andrew Lindsey have definitely certified themselves as the top two relievers on Friday and Saturday. Maybe we'll see... I, I just feel like Camden Sewell is more of a late-game guy. He may be the best bullpen arm, but Halverson and Lindsey are going to have these longer outings in relief.
1: Yeah. Well, I think you're, you're almost going to see him with all three of them, to be honest. And I think – and it's funny you say that because I feel like the reason Camden Sewell – you're seeing him on Sunday so much is they want to pair him with Drew Beam, who's the guy that's most likely to get knocked out of the game early. Okay. You know, that, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know that for a fact. But you just go back to last year and Camden Sewell was their guy. That's how he used him. Middle innings. If someone has a bad start, and, you know, more times than not, as the year went on, it was Drew Beam, you're going to come in you're going to take us as far as we can go. I go back to that Florida game uh, where he pitched, what, like four and two-thirds inning, didn't give up a run, and Tennessee was able uh, to, to win that game, I believe, in extra innings. And Yep. But, you know, Burns Ber- and Dolan haven't been great. And, you know, even in their starts where they've been solid and not bad, you know, they haven't been able to get deep in the game. So it's kind of presented opportunities, and, and with – A guy like Wyatt Evans injured, you know, I don't think Tennessee's pitching depth is, or bullpen depth is, you know, fantastic. So they really have ended up, you know, it almost feels like you have six arms that they really, really trust right now. And I'd probably even say seven with Kirby Cannell. Kirby's just not going to be a guy that's going to pitch a lot of innings at a time. Right. Uh, And you're right now you're kind of seeing it where you have... Obviously, starter for all three games, and then you have one bullpen guy that they're very confident in, and they're comfortable throwing for extended innings, and and that happened again, uh, really all three games on the weekend. But uh, Andrew Lindsey, I thought, was probably uh, the best or looked the best of all three of Tennessee's relievers, and
0: you know Halverson and Sewell look pretty good too. Yeah, and Lindsey's been the best the last two weeks. Uh, yeah, yeah. A and M series.
1: Yeah, that that run on that fastball is just it, it's it's mean.
0: It is, me- yeah, means a good way to describe it. Well. You know, Tony Vitello said that this Chase Burns outing is going to be a blip on the radar screen, and I feel like he's mostly right. I I came into this weekend thinking that Chase Burns had been the best starter for Tennessee up to this point in the season. You know, I I feel like he had been just consistently the best, and then this weekend Chase Dolander was definitely the best. Is Chase Burns got jumped all over, as we said. I believe he ended up giving up five runs there on Saturday. Just your thoughts on Burns' performance on Saturday or on Friday, and if you agree with Tony Vitello's sentiment that this is just an outlier. Well, again, like it's it's what we talked about last week. It it felt like
1: a lot of Chase Burns starts against good teams this year, where, and really a lot of Tennessee starters as a whole, he gives up three runs in the first inning one of those obviously is not his fault so you know two runs not a great start but you know whatever it's against a really good lineup it's it's nothing to condemn him for he gets into a groove in the middle of the game you know he's or in in the innings after that it wasn't really the middle of the game this time but he's pitching well and then he just gets in the fourth inning gets jumped on a little bit and again another time where it felt like Tennessee had some momentum boom LSU responds immediately takes the lead And, and you look at his numbers and Again, the strikeouts are super high. He he records 10 outs, 7 of them are strikeouts, uh, but he just isn't getting those consistent outs, and he, teams are just making a lot of hard contact on him. So, you know, I didn't think it was a very good start. Is it, do I agree with Tony Vitello's, you know, assessment as a blip on the radar? I don't, I don't really know. I don't really think I would call it a blip on the radar because he hasn't been very good for three SEC starts now. So to me, it's not a blip. To me, it's been a pretty common theme. Now, that doesn't mean I don't think Tony Vitello should be saying what he's saying and have confidence in him. He's clearly a very talented guy, and I think when you get to the crux of this Tennessee team, that's got to be the exciting part right now is they're starting to find a way to win games against good teams and play better, and what's supposed to be their strength, what should be their strength, really hasn't been their strength. The Starting pitching still hasn't been very good in SEC play. So, to me, that's a positive. You've seen him do it at a high level. You know he's capable of it, but to this point, he hasn't. And, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean I think he's just going to get rocked every time out. But when you, you're headed into another matchup against a really good team in Florida, I kind of have the feel for, like, you know, he may be good. He may be not very good. And to me, yeah. you know, it feels like a 50-50 proposition at this point. Okay. In the long term, I would probably agree with Vitello that I think he's probably going to get it back going. But, yeah, in the short term, I don't, I don't necessarily think I agree with the the phrasing
0: of blip on the radar. Okay, fair. Well, moving on to Sunday, we kind of already talked about it a little bit. Ben Beam pitched four innings, gave up six runs, but only one earned. And now on the season, Ryan, Drew Beam has given up 20 runs. Only nine are earned. That yeah, is it's pretty crazy. crazy. Yeah, it is. And the funny part. I mean, I mean, the the very ironic part of all of it is
1: I'd like to see how many of those runs, uh, at least in those two outings, came from him making the error. The, made the, him.
0: the the throwing error, right, yeah, to first. Almost it's the exact same again. play at Missouri that happened at LSU and, and really cost him. If anybody should not be making those, it's true Well, like, He's a quarterback. Yeah. Come on. And he he is. Like, last year, he was a very good fielder. Like, yeah, you I would Joe say he was the best
1: of the three starting pitchers as a defensive guy last year. Yeah,
0: no, that's fair. Um, but yeah, so Tennessee was able to kind of coast in this game. I was honestly surprised to see Beam have such a, not, a, not I'm not going to say such a poor outing, but as poor of an outing as he did, we talked about how it wasn't like a surprise outing. But when in, the offense has that type of success early, I just expected Beam to kind of cruise, and he didn't really. I mean, LSU plated six in the second, third, and fourth innings combined after Tennessee had scored 10 unanswered there in the first two innings. LSU hung around, and it wasn't until the sixth inning that, you know, really Zane didn't gave you confidence that Tennessee was actually going to put this thing away with the two-run shot there and Tennessee scored two more in the seventh um, as Camden Sewell did well straining the bases loaded twice on two separate occasions there against the LSU lineup which is a great thing to do um, impressive thing to do I should say so this Sunday game was just kind of a different script we saw Tennessee's offense bounce back in a big way probably we're there was a, probably a message after that Saturday loss that hey we gotta get a win. We know we can get a win. And then that's what they did Sunday.
1: Yeah, it was. And I think the two things that maybe stand out about this game and well, I guess I'll say first that first road winner of the season. Like I think it's pretty easy to gloss over that. I mean Tennessee won a game in Arizona, but it wasn't a true road game.
0: Oh, you say you said first road winner. Yeah, first yeah, road no, yeah. winner. And totally. it's like We're halfway through the season. It's
1: like you got to get that off off your you know. No, this is certainly the
0: first that UC San Diego game had like 250 people in attendance. So it it was
1: a I think it was huge from that aspect. It was good to see Tennessee could respond like that, and it was kind of a classic look of an SEC series where the two teams are really talented, and one team wins the first two games. The other team is really hungry. I think the two things that stand out. Yes, Beam wasn't great, but at the same time, like I think. He did what you need him to do, especially when you get a 10-0 lead. Which was he threw strikes. He didn't walk anybody. He's not putting anybody. Well, I guess he put one. He hit one batter, so he put one guy on base for free. And that's just that's right there. What you have to immediately avoid when you get a big lead. Don't be putting guys on base without or make them earn it. And now this LSU lineup's very capable of earning it. And that's why I guess I just wasn't all that surprised by it. He threw strikes, and LSU, you know, is really good. So they made him pay for some of those strikes. So. While he wasn't great, I think the defense needed to be better behind him, and certainly he needed to be better defensively. Um, and then I guess the second thing I would have, and I think it's very easy to overlook because you're right, LSU scores four runs in the fourth inning. Neither team scores in the fifth inning, but Tennessee didn't even threaten in the fifth inning, and it's 10-6. LSU is very much in striking distance. You're going to bullpen. Again, you have the absolute, maybe not the harder of your two, of your best hitters up to start the sixth inning. Jared Dickey flies out. Blake Burke grounds out, it's like, man, Tennessee, they've just been lifeless offensively for a little bit. And then, boom, two outs, Hunter Ensley singles, Zane Denton homers. And at that point, uh, Tennessee gets it to 12-6. to 6, You have a little bit more breathing room.
0: And you got Riley Cooper off the mound. And and you you know, he had struggled early in his outing but quickly settled.
1: Yeah, you're right. He did quickly settle and had been really good. So that felt like a huge swing. Tennessee ends up getting two more runs in the seventh inning. You felt like at that point they, they were going to win the game uh, for sure. But I think it's easy, especially with – uh, just looking at the score 10-6, feeling like Tennessee's in a good spot. They were in a good spot, but LSU had all the momentum in a lineup that was still plenty capable of winning that game. And Hunter Ensley and Zane didn't. What they did with two outs was
0: pretty massive there in sixth inning. Yeah, no, for sure. And, you know, you talked about after the fourth inning with LSU scoring four runs, Drew Beams Day was done after that. Xander Seacrest makes a weekend appearance. I was surprised. I, was... I thought it would be like Aaron Combs or something if you're not going to you know, throw Sewell first out of the pen. But, yeah, Xander Seacrest comes in, retires the side around a two-out single. Um, wasn't facing, you know, I think Tony Vitello kind of knew that Dylan Cruz and Tommy White, Trey Morgan, they weren't up, you know, it was, yeah. it was the weak part of the lineup that Seacrest faced, but he also come out in the sixth and, um, and got an out and then allowed two base runners on at the top of the lineup there for LSU and Duke and Morgan. But I think this was a pretty, uh, pretty good relief outing for Seacrest, to, especially against LSU.
1: Yeah, no, I think you have to, you would take that for sure. I was surprised that they went to him. I was surprised that they left him in quite as long as they did in, uh, I guess, what was the sixth, the sixth inning. Um, but, yeah, no, he was good. And I, it didn't feel like a great matchup for him just because of that fastball doesn't have a whole lot of run on it. And it sits low 90s, and that's just something that this LSU team, you felt like, could really pounce on. They didn't let him get completely in the middle of the order. But he... Was the bridge guy uh, between yep. Sewell and Beam, and you were gonna need somebody to eat some outs. And I thought Seacrest, you know, I, I again, like you said, he wouldn't have been my first thought of who would get that opportunity, but he performed well, and I think we'll probably uh, kind of continue to have a chance to. I don't know if he's gonna get a ton of full innings, but I think get a chance to face some batters, especially as Tennessee, besides Cannell, doesn't really have a left-handed arm. That you know they have consistent trust in. I think that's maybe a role that Seacrest is kind of starting
0: to grab. No, that's a good point, and yeah, especially with Wyatt Evans' sideline still. Um, but yeah, so Sunday, Tennessee kind of coasted to this win. 32 hits combined in this game, by the way. Like, LSU's bats brought it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, even when Camden Sewell pitched and wasn't allowing a lot of runs, like I said, they loaded the bases twice. They were having a good day, and they were certainly trying to get that series sweep, but just what Tennessee did early on was so dominant that, you know Tennessee was able to ultimately hold on and win but they were outscored 7 to 4 after those first two innings just a point there but the most one of the most encouraging things one of the positive takeaways from Tennessee's performance was the outfield defense now we kind of touched on it a little bit Christian Scott Hunter Ensley started all three games and you know you go to Saturday when all three of Jared Dickey Hunter Ensley and Christian Scott made diving catches key diving catches there on Saturday to get outs and then you look to to I, can't, I think I, my days are mixed up. That was Friday's game. Game two, what I just said. But then game three, Kyle Booker gets the start and left and makes a couple awesome defensive plays as well. Just your thoughts on this outfield defense and those four I I'm just mentioned.
1: No, you're right. The defense was really, really good. And, you know, Kyle Booker threw that runner out in wow, somewhere in the middle innings of the game to, to yeah. get out of one inning uh, and uh, what felt like had a big spot. And, yeah, I mean, Hunter Insley, I feel like has grabbed and taken – the reins of the starting center field job, and I think that's a huge development for Tennessee. And of all the things that they've done better in the last two weeks, it makes me feel more confident in this team. I think that's probably number one. Like he's been good, solid, solid defensively. I feel like he's rarely going to have issues at, at Lindsey Nelson Stadium. Some of the bigger parks in the league, you know, might present some challenges, but I don't feel like bad about. it. I feel like he's going to be solid there. And his bat's been really good. I mean, his bat's just been slow and steady and he he was fantastic really this weekend hitting 417 and, and you know I don't know if there was like any reason to have a bunch of doubts in him to do it but to see him hit against like top level competition I think was kind of like yeah. the last check mark of like okay you feel really good about Hunter Ensley. yeah he's SEC starter caliber yes. yeah so to me that's the biggest development he was fantastic and then I think Christian Scott who I think the only thing you would complain about defensively was a couple of plays he made, I, be- I believe, on Friday night. There was a ball that – or Thursday night. <laughs> I know, me, it's the first so game. Fr- I hate
0: Thursday to Saturday. So yes,
1: game one of the series, uh, there was a ball that LSU tagged up on that he was a little slow getting in. I think a, if he was a little more urgent with the throw, a good throw, they would have got the runner at home. And then he kind of – he jumped for a ball that he probably could have just taken another step at, at the remember. wall. But that was a tough play. You know, you're up, up against the wall. So No, yeah, that was the one he, like, crashed into. Yes. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. So there was, like, no bad mistakes. But still, I think Christian Scott's been good defensively. And I, by no means has he been great at the plate, but he's been a little bit better. He had some two RBI hits, including the one that was pretty huge in the series opener that we already mentioned on Thursday night. But I think even more importantly than that, or maybe, yeah, no, I would say important, not encouraging, is he's just doing – he's just – and I say the little things. It's really just he's bunting well when they ask him to butt. <laughs> yeah. And that's such a basic thing. And such, you might be rolling your eyes and be complimenting somebody for that. But there's so many players on this Tennessee team, and so many, or at least we've seen it over the the course of the year to this point. I don't want to maybe label all the players of not being able to. But these players that aren't in the heart of the lineup, who are not great hitters, when they're asked to bunt, they can't bunt. And you're just wasting in a bat. And it's like, and Christian Scott had that the first weekend of this season. He did that, I believe, twice. He had bad uh, bunt attempts. And he's been good. He's just getting them down he had it in the first inning where he they ran a squeeze play. He gets it down. It was a great was bunt, great. and yeah. then uh, an error on Tommy White. Or Tommy White couldn't really handle it, and he was able to beat it out. Probably would have gotten him with the throw, but, you know, it's still a good enough bunt that you made it a t- tough play. Scott made it a tough play for White. So he's doing the little things well, and if he's just not a liability at the plate, then putting him in the field is a lot more encouraging. And then uh, I'll end by rambling by just saying Kyle Booker. It was obviously a small sample size, just one game, but – that's, that's the best Kyle Booker I've seen since his freshman season when he was pinch-hitting and uh, uh, doubling off of Kevin, is Kevin Keats. What's the guy's name? Uh, the Arkansas pitcher. Kevin Copps? Kevin Copps, that's it. Yeah, yeah. The, the amazing reliever who um, I probably can't play baseball anymore because Dave Van Horn used his arm so <laughs> so much that season. But yeah. Kyle Booker had a couple that season. Really impressive pinch-hit at bats, and one of them was against Kevin Copps. Uh, so he's the best I've seen since freshman year, what he did on Sunday and. I think that's kind of uh I think at this point we'd kind of written him off for good reason as being I a, had yeah, a major contributor sure. and I think that not it's just one game. It's not, you know, like it's just radical different, but it's like yeah,
0: we'll see if he can put that together and maybe put another strong performance. Yeah, he was three five two RBIs and a double. Um was definitely a big part of those. 10 runs early on, and just that, you know, Tennessee offensive explosion early on Saturday's game. But yeah, Kyle Booker encouraging, and he gets the start over Griffin Merritt, which we need to talk about. Um, Saturday was more understandable, of course, because Jared Dickey moves to the outfield. Chuck Taylor starts behind the plate. Probably we'll see that once a series, I imagine. But then on Sunday, you think Griffin Merritt's probably going to go back to left field because Jared Diggy's back behind the plate, but no, Kyle Booker gets the start. And Griffin Merritt now in an 0-for-20 slump, Ryan. And he is just not as good defensively as some of these guys we've been talking about so it I mean is is Griffin Merrick going to be the odd man out here which is crazy to think yeah it's crazy. like to seven think. home runs you know early in the season would looked to be Tennessee's second best power hitter you know the track record of him coming in last year of college feels like this guy should be an everyday starter but I just don't know if he can do that
1: yeah I I think that you just hit the nail on the head I don't think everyday starter like I think he's losing that job, and I think he should. Like You just mentioned the numbers. The two things to me that stand out, I think the one more long-term concerning or maybe more practical is just, like, the fa- he just seems behind the fastball. The SEC fastball up or not. You know, you're not seeing that in the American Athletic Conference. Yeah. And then I think two, which probably some something that comes with that, he just looks mentally lost at the plate right now. And just like so – Lacking confidence, like yeah, I guess that's no, probably more than Mitchell. He's in a funk lost. for sure. Lacking confidence yeah. in the plate, and as he pinched it, I believe the final out of game two in the series,
0: mm-hmm. and yeah, Cal three Stark- four pitch strikeout. Like it, it just it just doesn't look good up there right now. Yeah, Cal Stark got the nod over him in the pinch it. I, I would have let Christian Scott have a hack at it. Why not? Which is kind of a crazy thing to say. Yeah, they merit pinch it for Scott. Who did Stark Stark pinch it for Taylor? I think because it was the end of the line. Yes. It was Taylor then Scott maybe yeah that sounds right um but anyway yeah start got the first pinch hit opportunity there at the end when they were trying to do anything they could on friday's friday night's game and then griffin Merrick coming and got the final was you know the last out but anyway yeah so i don't think and you know talk about the dh spot which we haven't mentioned dylan dryling's got that locked like he looks so good at the, at yeah. the play and yeah, he didn't have a great weekend numbers-wise, but... No, he looked really good. Really but he good. looked really good, and he was making very, very good contact.
1: Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up, because to me that expands the griffin Merritt conversation. And to me, the dilemma that Tennessee has as a whole is that Dryling and Tami tears too, who pinched it, I believe, twice, but didn't start any, obviously still kind of coming off that hamstring Definitely. injury that hampered him after uh, Game 1 in the Texas A&M series. Both of those guys look a lot better at the plate than... Griffin Merritt does and Obviously, like I said, Griffin Merritt hasn't looked very good, so that's not a high bar. But the two things that I think play to Griffin Merritt, why well, you can't just give up on Griffin Merritt, or in fact, Griffin Merritt's going to still play, is one, both those guys are lefty, mm-hmm. and this is already an extremely left-handed heavy yep. hitting Tennessee lineup, and it's a pretty heavy left-handed hitting outfield lineup with the options. Kyle Booker, Christian Scott, obviously Inslee's right-handed. Jared Dickey, if he's out there, is left-handed too. But is the fact that you said it. Merritt's not great defensively. <laughs> well, neither are Dylan, Dreiling, and Dryling no, Tears. No, Dryling should never start in the outfield. But Both I, those guys
0: are worse. I think defensively. Tears is better. I think Tears is closer to Merritt than Dryling. Dryling is, yes. And Or like, you know how like Dryling's one end, Merritt's one end. Like Tears is closer to Merritt's end. Yeah, I would sense.
1: probably agree with that. And again, it's one of those things where it's like at Lindsay Nelson Stadium you can probably I think you can probably get away with having Tears out there. Yeah. In left field a decent bit. On the road, not as much. And I still don't think they're going to want to necessarily consistently have him out there. So there's still going to be plenty of opportunities for Griffin Merritt. And just like from naturally from that, from the defense standpoint, from Jared Dickey catching now more than he's playing outfield, Mm. there's going to be opportunities for Griffin Merritt. But I think it just makes it interesting to see how Tony Vitello is going to handle how heavy left-handed hitting the lineup is and balancing getting these two guys who have been really good with their bat and dryling in tears consistent starts when you don't necessarily feel great about either of them starting in the outfield.
0: And and maybe there's never, you know, maybe it's just matchups, like you said. If there's a righty on the mound, Griffin Merritt's probably has a less chance to play, and then you're going to go with a lefty-heavy lineup. I think, you know, last year, halfway through SEC play, we kind of got the sense that there was a consistent starting rotation there in the outfield, and you knew who the nine were going to be. It may not It may not be that way this year. You know, yeah, it just no. could be different every game. You know, who knows? Yeah, I, think I don't think it has to be just set in stone, you know. Like people want clarity, and they just want, "Oh, this is what it is. This is how it is. We're rocking with these guys." It may not be this way for the this Tennessee team. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be. I think you just need to have
1: consistent options. I guess would be the right yeah, word. And some, do. Yeah, and they Yeah, and they
0: do now. They're finding that now. I mean, look at Kyle Booker. You like we said, we wrote him off, and then he comes in Sunday and was or Saturday and was arguably Tennessee's best overall player.
1: Yeah, and I think there's a difference, in – what you're saying, which I think is where Tennessee's kind of at right now, and where they were a couple of weeks ago where it's like, yeah, okay, you got five, six guys that might start in the outfield. You have n- not one spot in the outfield can you pencil in who's going to be your starter every single day. Yeah. And I think you are starting – obviously, we talked about Inslee and in Christian Scott's gaining more things. You are starting to get a rhythm of knowing where Jared Dickey's going to be every day. It seems like he's going to be behind the plate first game, game three. He's probably going to be in left field in game two. So you're starting to find some consistent answers. And baseball is such a game of a rhythm. And so I do think there is a big benefit to players knowing what they are going to be asked every day when they come to the park. And I think you're starting, while it's not, again, like a set nine or set eight, I guess, in this phrasing. Right. You have... An idea of what you're going to be doing. You have an idea of what the lineup's going to look like every day at the park. You know, there's two or three or maybe four combinations uh, that, you know, have some similarities to that you know you're going to see. Or those are your options. It's not just the wild, wild west of, well, right. we'll see what it is we're today. Not gonna,
0: we're not just going to see Logan Chambers in game two at left field or anything like that. Yeah, exactly. Right. Right. Yeah, there is a consistent group. It's just there might not be a set three every game outside of maybe Inslee and Center, maybe even Scott and Wright. And it's funny how Jared Dickey has become the Cal Stark from our preseason projection, like especially yours. You're like Cal Stark's gonna yeah. be Friday Sunday catcher. I think Chuck's the Saturday guy. Now it's Jared Dickey.
1: Yeah, and it's funny because it's like Cal Stark.
0: He came off so strong, like he looked
1: like he's gonna be. He didn't end up starting on the opening weekend behind the or he did it in game two, but he didn't do game one, game three, largely because he was sick before. But he got his opportunities, and he hit well those first two weekends, and you're like, okay, he's going to grow into it. Yeah. But, I mean, the bat's just kind of largely disappeared, and he's not good enough defensively if the bat's going to disappear for him to, to be in the lineup consistently.
0: Right. All right, well, moving on to this weekend, Tennessee back home in Lindsey Nelson saying we got another Thursday through Saturday series makes a little bit more sense this week as Easter is Sunday so it's not we didn't get that last year Ryan we we had yeah, an Alabama game on Sunday yeah uh, yeah but this year it's uh, Florida Thursday and Friday nights and then Saturday afternoon there 8 p.m. Eastern is first pitch on Thursday Florida a great baseball team much better than they were last year um, finally feels like they're starting to put things together um, they've won every series they've played so far, won two of three against Bama and Auburn. Both of those were in Gainesville, and then they swept Ole Miss. Florida's just got the hitting lineup is insane. And Jack Caglione is the college Shohei Otani, and there's no doubt about it. Dude is batting 408, leads the team, and has 18 home runs. I had to do a double take. I knew he was already in the double digits, but I'm like, he's already almost to 20?
1: Yeah. Holy yeah, I know, it's
0: crazy. That is insane. Yeah, it really is. I mean, it's... Like, Burke has had a great year, all intents and purposes, and he's just at 10. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, I guess beside
1: the point, Burke's been a little quiet the last couple of weeks, and you don't, I don't think naturally think of Caglione, because you have Dylan Cruz in this league, and Tennessee has some really good hitters, too, yeah. and Caglione's not draft eligible yet, so so much of what, in it's way, in every sport... And, uh, yeah, you're going to we'll pay more the,
0: attention to the guys who are in their last year, right? Yeah,
1: yeah and we'll, we'll keep it on the Florida theme. And it's one of my big pet peeves with college sports, less with baseball than it is in, in basketball and football. And I just go back to, and I'll try to keep this brief because it's completely off topic. No, you're good. Yeah, we got time. The f- Saturday, uh, the first college football Saturday. Okay. Florida's playing Utah. What a great college football game. Yeah, Anthony was. Richardson. Billy Napier the underway. Yeah. And we got to spend half the game with graphics about how Anthony Richardson's a projected top 15 pick and them talking about it. It's like one, okay, this is literally his first game. He's I said that might not be true. He played a little bit year before, so he be starting. Oh yeah, no. Nah, he started. But this is basically years. basically his first start. One, so it's like, okay, this is your purely projection. And two, it's like I I'm not I'm not sitting down to watch the NFL. I'm sitting down to watch college football, so let's talk about college football. I'll get off of it now. But yeah, so you don't ever get that. And you get a lot of that in college baseball, too, where they talk about the draft eligible oh, Dol- guys.
0: Thursday nights, That's- Tennessee LSU is a prime example. Yeah. Oh, don't enter skis. MLB yeah.
1: guys. MLB guys. Oh. Yes. And it, it does bother me less in, in baseball. I don't know why I, I couldn't. I'll have to go research my brain to figure out why I think that You're is. You're just an NFL hater. That's all it is. I'm not even an NFL <laughs> hater. <laughs> I'm more of an NBA hater, and, I, and I, it annoys me more in football than it does in basketball. Um, but, Ka- I mean, yeah, Caglione, The getting back to the point. I mean, he's been as good as anybody in the SEC, he's been as good as anybody in the country. And you said it with the Shohei Atani comparison. What he's also doing on the mound, I think, is not as impressive, but I think is almost more important to to Florida because – He has the lowest DRA of the starters. Yeah, he does. Yeah. And so much – and this kind of gets into a broad Florida discussion. The last couple of years, they've been super high hyped up. And, you know, they've had a great program. And they're probably behind South Carolina, the team that's been hurt the most by Tennessee becoming relevant. Yeah. It's just because there's only so many wins to go around, so many recruits and all that stuff. They play in the same division. Yeah. This year they're living up, and they didn't even have quite as high of a preseason rankings, but they're living up to those teams. And I think what's largely kept them, the lineup's better this year, but the lineup's been good. The biggest issue, they just haven't had any pitching. And their pitching isn't elite this year. Yeah, it's not, yeah. But it's you're finding some rhythm, and there's consistency to it. All three guys, and Caglione, that's why I say maybe this is more important to Florida, he's started every single weekend for him, And that has not, having three guys that have started every single weekend for Florida, Like that's been, which is the case, every single weekend for Florida this year, has been like the antithesis of their program over the last few years. They just have no consistency on the mound, and a lot of guys that throw high nineties but can't consistently throw strikes. And they haven't like completely flipped it. It's not a Frank Anderson pitching staff by any means. It just pounds the strike zone and it is real deep. But there is more depth. There's more pieces, and there's just consistency with the starters. And I think Brandon Sprout, who has the worst numbers of any of their guys with a five four five
0: ERA, to me is still their best pitcher and an extremely extremely talented guy. And he has the lowest WHIP. Yeah, Which is, you know, some people will say is the most telling pitching stat.
1: Yeah, it it certainly can be. And I guess he has the second most innings pitched, second most strikeouts of those guys, but the fewest walks. So really all their numbers are pretty similar. There isn't any huge numbers. I do think Sproach's the most talented. And just having a guy, having Caglione be able to come in and be a consistent weekend arm for them, to me, is changed the outlook on Florida from just being like, wow, this is a really good offense, and this is a really good top ten regional hosting team, chance to earn a super regional hosting team into, like, okay, this is one of the best teams in the country.
0: No, 100%. And the drop-off from LSU to Florida is not that big when you look at the lineup. I mean, we mentioned Caglione, who is a monster at the plate. But then Wyatt Langford's still here. Remember him? Had 25 home runs or something last year. He was insane. And then they also got a – that guy who who is it? Uh, Josh Rivera. Yeah, Josh Rivera, who has double-digit homers already. Yeah, so and he's hitting four hundred. Yeah, yeah, over four hundred. So, this lineup is pretty much a murderer's row. Maybe not as good as LSU as far as like just consistently top to bottom, but the power is there. And Tennessee's pitching has the work cut out for them yet again.
1: Yeah, not as deep as LSU's. and I think that's kind of. What separates LSU from a lot of teams this year? To me, LSU's lineup this year's every bit as good as Tennessee's lineup last season. I agree. Yeah, I don't have near the pitching that it's Tennessee funny. had last year.
0: It's funny because like Tommy White's the cleanup hitter and Drew Gilbert was, and they're both kind of short and they yeah. have a lot of like swagger about them. And then Beck and Cruz are just studs. So
1: yeah, exactly, exactly. And Trey Tra- Lips- Tra- Lipscomb as well would be another guy to throw yeah, in there sure. too. And. Uh, the Trey Morgan, I guess see is Jarrell Ortega in that lineup. Yeah, we won't get into all the comparisons. There's a lot of them, though. Yeah, there is a lot of them. But the the heat, the heart of this Florida order is to me just as good. Or, you know, razor thin margin between LSU and Florida. And when you talk about coming to Lindsey Nelson Stadium, as the granted the weather isn't is going to be great this weekend, but you know, as you get to the time of year the weather warms up, it becomes a lot more of a, a hitter's park you know there's going to be these guys are going to be able to do a lot of damage and like you said Tennessee starters all of Tennessee's pitchers are going to have their
0: work cut out for them but I do think Tennessee's uh hitting lineup like the offense has a better chance of having a more consistent weekend than they did against LSU because Ty Floyd's really good and of course we talked about how good Paul Skeens is we talked about how these Florida pitchers are all kind of about the same maybe one's a little bit better than the other but it Tennessee's offense should be able to have success every single day as long as they're not just totally cold.
1: You know, you're right. To me, that was probably one of the most encouraging parts of the LSU series is just that you had consistently had guys that produced. produced and against just about everybody. I mean, Paul Skeens was really good. But given you know how good Paul Skeens is, I think Tennessee was largely competitive you know against him, and yeah. I don't think you were you came away from watching Tennessee hit Paul Skeens you're like man they they would look lost. I mean Paul Skeens was really good, and Tennessee probably hit him about as well as anybody's hit him all year. Um, so you know Griffin Herring would be the other guy, the freshman who, who closed out. Uh, game two of that series on Friday that Tennessee struggled with. But besides that, I mean – Oh, yeah, that
0: reliever was me. Yeah. yeah, he was nasty.
1: Yeah, freshman, big-time recruit was really good. So, But besides that, you know, Tennessee basically hit everybody, and I think that is a positive is we talked about it at the beginning of the year where it's like Tennessee, they're going to have to figure some things out in the field. They're going to have to figure things out with the lineup. The pitching's going to have to carry them a little bit in the season. It feels like we're at the point where maybe not completely figured out, but the lineup has largely figured itself out, and mm-hmm. it's good. And Tennessee's pitching has never been at the point where they could really carry them. That's why they got off to a slow start. But, again, that's where I go back to what I said earlier. That's the kind of optimistic view on this team is you're starting to get the lineup where it's very capable. The bullpen, a lot of those roles are solidifying. You feel good. If the starters will just be the starters that they were last year, then you have a team that's you know one of the best five in the country.
0: No, that's a great way to put it. I came away with the Missouri series. Of course, the pitching struggled. And you know my big takeaway was, man, I'm worried about this lineup facing SEC pitching but the, the Tennessee pitchers will be okay. Now I've kind of flipped my tune to where, hey, I think this lineup can hit just about any team, but I don't know if the pitching is going to be what we thought it was going to be for Tennessee to be a top-five team. Yep. You know, it's just it, the script has flipped. But I, but I do think that Tennessee is still obviously an elite team. They belonged on the field with LSU. And I'm going to make my prediction, go ahead and make it. I think Tennessee wins this series this weekend. may be a little bit of a hot take, but this team plays really, really well at home. And, and I don't know if we've emphasized that enough. Uh, you did earlier, talking about how it was their f- um, first true road game, just about the road but or road win on Saturday. Tennessee's not a very good road team, but they're a very, very good home team. And I think they're one of the best teams in the country at home. So I do think Tennessee wins Thursday and Saturday. What do you think? Yeah,
1: I've kind of gone back and forth on this. I would probably say I'm leaning towards picking Tennessee. We'll see it when <laughs> the prediction's out. Uh, in, our, in our weekend preview, whether I changed my mind. To me, it feels basically like a toss-up. You know, yeah. I, I think Florida's a little bit better than Tennessee, but in Knoxville, and I think it was a Tennessee team that's playing with a lot of confidence right now, I think Tennessee's really capable of winning. And to me, I think it would be a big statement if they could win. I think you kind of flip the script of, you know, so much of the season's been figuring each other out, figuring things out, figuring out the mojo, figuring out our identity. I feel like that LSU win could be a little bit, on the game three win on Saturday could be a little bit of a turning point, and this is kind of where you show. All right, we showed we could play with one of the best teams in the country. Now we kind of showed that we, while we not we weren't number two, number two team in the country in the preseason. Or the first day of the season, like the preseason rankings indicated, we had the talent to be as good as anybody else in the country,
0: and I think this is kind of a chance to make that level of statement. No, it's definitely a chance, and I, I think that Saturday win is is huge for Tennessee's confidence moving forward. As Tony Vitello has so cleverly called those types of wins a Listerine win. Yeah, which pretty good is is a very clever term. I I like it a lot. But yeah, yeah. What I was yeah. just
1: gonna say the one thing that I've had in my head and you. This was before your time on the beat, so you probably won't remember this. But in 2019, bytello's second season, mm-hmm. really the breakout season in the sense that they made the NCAA tournament for the first time. They were really competitive in SEC play, and it was kind of it had followed the theme of a lot of Dave Serrano years early. They lost like maybe one game in the non-conference. They won a series against Indiana and Fresno State, some pretty good series wins. Then they go to Auburn the first weekend of the season. They get swept. Had chances to win games. Games got away from them. Uh, different than Missouri game this year, but in a similar, very disheartening. And then the second weekend of the year, which obviously AM And M was the second weekend of the year, but the second weekend of SEC play that season, they went to Vanderbilt. It was a really good Vanderbilt team that was like, uh, not Jack Leiter, who was the other guy that Rocker, uh, rocker uh, Kumar, Kumar Rocker's rocker. freshman year. This was, I-, I believe, Vanderbilt team that either lost, made it to College World Series. Maybe a Vanderbilt team that won and beat Michigan. And you lose the first two games of that series, and Tennessee won. They actually rocked Rocker. <laughs> uh, they rocked ro- Rocker, and on Sunday they held on to win. They made some huge defensive plays late. And Tony Vitella called it the rest of the season. They got things together. They finished around 500 in SEC play. They learned to win, which you, know, you hear coaches coach talk about all the time. He called that a turning the turning point in the season and largely a turning point for the program. This LSU game three, to me, has very similar vibes to that what that Vanderbilt series and that Vanderbilt game had. And I'm going to be interested to see if Tennessee can use that win to kind of propel them into playing up to their potential the rest of the season.
0: That's a good point. Good history lesson, Ryan. Uh, enjoyed it. Um, but, yeah, Tennessee gets back into action Thursday, 8 p.m. Eastern time against Florida. It's definitely going to be a fun one. Be sure to tune in to Rocket Top Insider for all your coverage needs as well as Ryan's preview, which I assume will be up tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow the, the the latest first thing on uh, Thursday morning. There you go. There you have it. And everybody just in advance I want to wish you a happy Easter. We'll be back tomorrow for our weekly normal Press Pass podcast with host Rick Butler. So I'm sure we'll we'll talk about Easter a little bit as well, maybe some favorite Easter things, but anyway, just a happy Easter. I want to wish you guys that and I hope everyone is doing all right. thought that's going to end it for Rocket Top Insiders special edition Press Pass episode here talking Tennessee baseball Ryan I will see you later, my friend. Sounds great.